I think a lot of us that are entrepreneurs and CEOs or, you know, executives, we all are personality types where we want to do it all and it is not possible and it is not efficient and it is not sustainable. And bringing someone on with like a much deeper, complex understanding of finance and being able to, you know, model things out in a new way, game changer for me. Absolute game changer because it helped me understand my company in a new way that I couldn't do on my own. So yeah, huge thing to do. Back in my corporate career, when the company I worked for was searching for outside funding, I remember spending hours after hours to answer questions from investors about the financial numbers. Because these investors want to make sure that they will receive their return on investment back. Principal plus interest. Being an entrepreneur is hard work. Imagine if you are building a business in a highly regulated industry, such as the cannabis industry. Understanding the numbers, the metrics, become much more important, especially if you are a startup who wants to find outside investors to give you money so your vision can become a reality. You're listening to Her CEO Journey. I am your host, Christina Shahli, Chief Financial Officer and Cashflow Consultant. I am here with my guests to empower you to become a CEO who pay yourself like a true CEO, who are not clueless when it comes to your business finance and you are in this journey for the long game. My guest today is Andrea Brooks, the founder and CEO of Safa, an online platform for created cannabis goods. Andrea is a cannabis advocate, lobbyist for social change, and entrepreneur with a passion for health and wellness. Her company helps patients learn about the provider they are purchasing from, how each product was crafted, and how best to utilize the medicinal properties of cannabis for health. Let's listen to Andrea's CEO journey. Andrea Brooks, welcome to her CEO journey podcast. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I am very excited about this because your business is a little bit different, a little bit background about Andrea. She is the CEO and founder of Safa. Safa is the fastest growing e-commerce and home delivery system for cannabis in California. So her business is different and I'm super excited to understand better. Andrea. First of all, I know that you work for a not-for-profit before. So how did you get into an e-commerce and cannabis? Tell me your journey. Okay, yeah. It It is definitely a journey. If you had told me 10 years ago that this is what I'd be doing, I would not believe you at all. So yeah, my previous career was as a consultant for NGOs and nonprofits. Loved what I did. Felt like I was really helping people and helping the world. What kind of changed the pathway of my life was an injury. I got badly injured in 2010. Mm -hmm. And I thought that, you know, I was young. I was in my like early to mid 30s. I thought I'd bounce back. I just didn't really, I've never had an injury that just kind of took me down before. Mm -hmm. And instead of, you know, going on like temporary disability and resting for a couple months, what happened is my injuries were so severe that I was 
put on permanent disability and couldn't work and was told I may never return to an office job and that, Mm. you know, my life is going to be drastically different. And it was a lot to absorb. And then also I was in so much pain because I had like spine damage and nerve damage. So I was taking all these pain medications. I learned very quickly that when you are in extreme pain, you'll do pretty much anything to make it stop. Mm -hmm. So even though I've always been, you know, more of a holistic and wellness type of person, you know, I was taking what would make the pain stop. Mm -hmm. The drugs definitely helped with pain. They didn't help me recover at all. You know, so I kind of was mostly homebound, bedbound for over a year and a half. And I eventually, you know, one day was just like, I cannot believe this is my life. I mean, I felt that a lot, but I, one day in particular, I felt motivated to start trying to, you know, see what else I could do. So really I came to cannabis out of desperation and, you know, I was not a cannabis person. I had smoked a couple joints in my teens and twenties, you know, it was just like, it was like, it's fine. It made me tired. I didn't really get it. You know, I knew also medical cannabis was very real for people with cancer and HIV and AIDS, but I just just wasn't a part of my world or thoughts at all. Mm-hmm. And you know, during this time, as I'm desperate, I reached out to a friend who's an amazing grower. And so, you know, he started giving me education. And also I started, you know, smoking and learning about CBD and THC and taking tinctures. What I found pretty immediately was that cannabis was a better method of dealing with my pain and inflammation for me. Mm-hmm. It didn't dial in overnight. I had to learn a lot. I still learn about the plant. But what I was able to do was wean myself off of the drugs and start using cannabis exclusively. And one of the main changes for me was, you know, it's like, yes, I'm still handling the pain, but my mood improved so drastically that I was able to do the things I needed to do to get well. Mm-hmm. And I think You know, there's studies that show if people don't recover from a major injury in a certain amount of time, they're less and less likely to go back to the workforce. And I was becoming one of those people. You know, there was things I could have done the whole time, but like the way I felt on the drugs and I just wasn't doing anything to, you know, insurance only covers so many physical therapy appointments. You know, Mm -hmm. once you tap out on that, they don't really help you anymore. So using cannabis, I started getting in a place where like, okay, like I can do my stretches, I can go on a walk, I can do these other things It just really, really helped me where I was getting the same benefit that I was getting from pain medications, but without the negative effects. So that is a, that was a pretty big game changer for me. And I didn't recover overnight. I still have to deal with my body. I still go to PT and like, I have to strengthen all the time. You know, my body is different than how it was before the injury. Also, the question, you know, as I started to be on a better path to wellness and start to come back to myself, Mm -hmm. you know, then the question was, why didn't I come to cannabis sooner? And Sava is the result of me asking myself that question. So why you didn't go to cannabis sooner? I didn't go to cannabis sooner, I think, because of stigma and also the way that cannabis was presented to me, you know, which is, those are two different things, but, you know, the delivery options at the time didn't speak to me. The dispensary options at the time didn't speak to me. You know, I was going, you know, as I started my research, then I, you know, I had these amazing sources of friends that were growing, but then I was also going to dispensaries and trying to find out more information. And I found that my experiences there was was really lacking. And like when I was like, I want to learn more about topicals, I had one day like someone in a dispensary just was like, here's all the topicals in a box that we have. And I was like, no, no, no. I want to know like, 
you know, about the company. I want to know what it's made with. I want to know like all these things, like what is the best use case? So I was really looking for a voice that spoke to me. I was looking for transparency. I was looking for education. And I found that really hard. And I also, we all shop with our eyes. I wasn't like drawn, you know, to what was being presented to me. So that's kind of all what came to Sava is, you know, I kind of had like direct access to a grower. How can I replicate that for other people? So they feel like, like it's that sense of trust. How can you create that sense of trust coupled with the education and coupled with the right products? So for me, it was, yeah, just, I don't feel like I had access to understanding the products and how to use them from the industry at that time, as well as the transparency and, you know, trying to like find exactly the companies that spoke to me in terms of their mission as well. So that all of those things is, you know, Sava is solving all of those problems by doing a lot of education, by being transparent about the companies that we work with and by carrying very high quality products. So, you know, you have a friend who is a grower and then you learn from this friend. Now, you didn't go through that route. You didn't say that I want to be a grower because, you know, you can grow like a high quality. Instead, you are going taking this route with your product, with e-commerce, with delivery. I think instead of the grower, you going to the more to the end result, I guess. That's how I, I see. It's more like a product, right? Why is that? I think some of it is also, you know, one being apartment bound, I really realized the importance of delivery, right? Like even as I started recovering, I can't go and do all the things. And, you know, one delivery is super important just for people, you know, I feel in terms of my community, I just see my friends working more and more and more and balancing life with kids. Mm -hmm. So delivery just a crucial thing. It's not going anywhere. The convenience component, we're going to just need more things delivered. But it was also a necessity for me. If I can't get out of bed because I'm in pain, I need something delivered to me. So that really struck home with like what I was going through at the time. So that was the thing. And then also my skill set was really going into different spaces and evaluating them and doing needs assessments and seeing, you know, what you know, and that's what I would do for NGOs and nonprofits, you know, what's your mission? You know, what is the demographic you're serving? Is there another way to serve this demographic? I think once my brain started to recover, I started just applying that skill set to this industry, because this is where I was fascinated, you know, so I was doing my like, unofficial needs assessment based Mm -hmm. on like what I saw lacking. And Mm -hmm. that's what led me to the specific solution. It is completely different than anything else I've done before. But again, it was, it was really just seeing something like I wanted for myself that didn't exist. And mm-hmm. a part of me just was like, I can create it, you know, and also I like a challenge. Yeah, I was excited to also do something new, but I felt so strongly about it. You know, it, it really came out of a deep passion. I'd always wanted to own a business. I have known that for a very long time. It used to feel strange to say, I want to run a business, but I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think sometimes we just have those, we know those things. And as we get older, you know, I'm a woman in my 40s now, I can settle into the fact that that answer is going to come. Like, I know I can feel something in my gut and the other piece will fall into place. And that's what happened. You know, I've been thinking about business ideas and then it just was like, this is it. You know, I did have that actual light bulb moment and I was like, I felt it in my gut. 
So, okay, when was the light bulb moment? When was that? I'm always curious when people got that light bulb moment, right? Uh, okay, so <laughs> I, I, rem- I mean, I don't, maybe it needs to be more interesting than this, but I was just out to dinner. You know, I was researching the industry and I was thinking about it actively. I was also meeting, you know, with other women that suffered chronic pain that okay. like are making amazing artisan products. And I was like, I want to support these businesses. I want these businesses to get out there. Like this Mm. is a different cannabis and it will appeal to other demographics. So my initial light bulb moment, it was all of the things I said, plus this starting to do this networking in the industry and meeting all these amazing female founders that I was so inspired by meeting other women with stories like me and men too. We're a female leading company and female forward company, female founded company, but we are not exclusive to men. We have our demographics actually 50-50. But, you know, in meeting all these women and learning more of the stories, and I love storytelling, and I think that comes from my nonprofit background. My light bulb moment, I was out to dinner. I was like, I want to create the Etsy for cannabis. Like, I want to support all these small makers. So while we have evolved, that was the initial light bulb moment was mm-hmm. like, how do we get visibility to all these other people that I'm lucky enough to be meeting? How do we give them a platform and raise them up? So from that light bulb moment, okay, you're saying I want an Etsy and then to translate into home delivery platforms, what did you do? How did you even, uh, you know, looking for the products? What kind of products that you're going to be selling? How did you do that? Well, one, you know, also there's like the whole layer of how insane the industry is and it's changed a lot and we have ridden a lots of waves. In terms of finding the products, you know, I just kind of started leaning into the networking that I was doing, going to events, looking online. Like, you know, I did a lot of like research on Instagram, like who are these people that I can connect with? And then like asking, once I got connected to a woman, it was a lot of female makers in the beginning, but once I got connected to a maker that I felt like I really vibed with, then I would say like, who are the, who is your community? Like who are the women any growers or artisan crafters that you feel are doing something special. So I just really tapped that network and I had then a great pool of, you know, 20 cannabis like artisan product makers that I was ready to launch with once we built our MVP and had the site ready to go. It was initially again, very focused on topicals and tinctures Mm -hmm. And I didn't even carry vape pens in the beginning. I was just, it was very about the craft products, but that changed pretty quickly once we, you know, we're learning more about other companies. Once I found, you know, vape companies where I was like, wow, you're doing something special. Like, you know, my world was opening at this whole time too. I started in a very concentrated way. And as I, you know, went along the path, I just, things opened and Sava, you know, evolved over time as a result. Okay, so for my audience, can you please explain what is topical, what is tinctures? So give us a little bit of education here. <laughs> of course. So there are many, many ways to consume cannabis. Most people know to smoke it mm-hmm. or know to vape it, vape it, vaping. And both are very easily accessible things. They also hit your bloodstream right away. But there are many ways to consume cannabis. So or not even consume. There's also many ways to use cannabis as a way that can help your body without needing to smoke or vape or even eat it. So one thing to me that was a huge game changer is understanding topicals. So a topical is like a cannabis formula that you rub into your skin. It can be a cream, 
or an oil. It can be in a patch or a bomb. You know, any time. There's lots of different carriers, different oil carriers and bases of a cream will do different things. And then the formulas can be different. So you can have one that's more concentrated CBD, more concentrated THC, or a balance or some sort of ratio. What is amazing about topicals is it will act in the area. We have all these receptors. So I still get a lot of muscle tension in my neck. I'm stiff. I'm going to be stiff the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. My stiffness creates like knots. So I am rubbing topicals in my neck and all around here in my jaw at least three times a day and my muscles will relax. I, and it does not make me tired. So hmm. you, it doesn't get bloodstream. So you can like take advantage of the benefit, you know, it's important to me to do a lot of education around like what it means to be high because people get scared. And also, you know, if someone really is like, I can't consume it, I just don't even want to go there. Or like, this is a great entry point of like, I'm having pain, you know, or like CBD topicals are great for joints. So it's like rubbing, I have pain in my joints. So I'll like rub a high CBD one. THC is great for muscle. I'll use that in my neck. And so these are ways you can be getting the benefit way into topicals, just because I think there's so much education that needs to be done around topicals. But then there's also sublinguals, which is like, let's say a spray that can absorb in your mucous membranes and it won't hit as fast as smoking, but it's pretty quick. So there's like little tablets these days that are sublinguals or sprays. There's also tinctures, which is, you know, someone's, it's like an herbal extraction, not so different from, you know, if people get an herbal tincture where it's like traditionally like an herb is soaked in alcohol and you get the essences and then you're taking, you know, it's like an infusion, mm -hmm. but there's a lot of different people do that. Edibles. People love to eat cannabis. That is also something else that people will do. And all of these prop ways, all, all of these ways, these days have endless ratios, endless, you know, profiles. So it's like, these are the different methods of which to use cannabis, but then there's going to be endless options within each category. And I use everything. <laughs> yeah. I so, love you know, like you mentioned earlier that the world or, you know, many people are still thinking that, you know, when you're using cannabis, it's about getting high. So yeah. what you are teaching to people is basically that's not the case. So is it like wine? Is it like alcohol? So or is it even it's more useful because alcohol, you know, you rub it, you're not going to relax your muscles. No, you're not going to relax your muscles. So there's, there's so many things in this question that I love to dig into and kind of going back to one is, you know, concerns people have about getting high. And I like to kind of redefine what that means. Like, what is it? I always want to know, like, what does it mean for someone to get high? A lot of times, you know, people's experience with cannabis is that like bad brownie experience that many of us had in college where you like eat something random and then someone's like, hey, there's weed in that cookie. And then you may not have had the best experience. Who knows what was in that thing? And then that's like what people associate with getting high. When we're talking about some, you know, being high, it's kind of like having a psychoactive effect. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of things that have psychoactive effects that people don't equate with being high. So when you're taking in a substance that is altering your mood in some way, such as having a glass of wine, that is, you are having, you know, a psychoactive effect. You're like relaxing, especially when people have that first buzz. Like that's what people want. They want to like take, take the edge off, right? They want to mm -hmm. like relax a little bit. It's mm -hmm. acceptable 
the edge off, I think, and, and anything under that is what people are usually wanting with the wine. It's enjoyable, but also you're getting a specific benefit. Mm-hmm. Most people are not just drinking it with the wine. You know, so I want to un- help people understand the ways that you can use cannabis for that same thing where you can get a very gentle relaxation. It would still technically be called getting high because you're changing, you know, your brain state. But I just, it's important for me to dial in for people that there are so many incremental ways to do this that get so much pleasure. You know, Sava started with a medical focus and then we expanded to be a wellness company. I now also feel I'm becoming more and more of a pleasure advocate because, you know, I, I know how to dial in my experiences and like, there's nothing wrong with just relaxing at night and feeling some pleasure in this crazy world of ours. So I, to me, it's really important to dismantle what that getting high is. And there are also ways to use cannabis for wellness that don't involve getting high at all. Mm. So CBD, it will like relax you. So to that end, like, is it a little psychoactive because you're entering a little bit of a different space, but like, Mm -hmm. again, topicals don't, won't affect your mind in that way. Taking high CBD products won't affect you in that same way. So it's important to know that there is options that are not psychoactive for people. If someone is just really like, I just can't go there, that's not the end of the road for you. There's mm. there's options there. So I like to kind of tackle both of it. I think it's important for people to understand about the plant, all the different ways it can be used. And now I've become more and more being like, let's dismantle this high thing. How do we tackle that and make things feel safer? Because there's safe options. And especially this is where I come back to tinctures and why I love them so much. There's so many ratios and you can really just be like, I'm taking three drops. I can wait, you know, so much, you know, this amount of time. And if I want to see what another three drops feels like in two hours, I can do that. Like there's really precise ways to control one's experience. And that is such a beautiful thing of being in the industry at this time. Okay. This is me asking, (laughs) just curious. I'm just so excited because I, I don't know much about cannabis. So this is a lot of learning yeah. for me as well. Now, another thing that I want to know, when you say tincture, right? And then you put three drops in your mouth. That's kind of like me putting three drops of oregano oil, but you know, I don't know how it feels, right? <laughs> yeah. Can people get overdose through that? That, okay. So that is an excellent question. Okay. We'll just kind of balance this with some cannabis education. One, you can't die from cannabis. Okay. Like overdose. Two, you can have a very uncomfortable experience. This goes back to the bad brownie thing. This goes back to about starting low and going slow, knowing your dosage. So for example, yes, if someone was like, this tincture is great and like I feel good and then they start doing it like every hour, it will, depending on what's in that tincture, you can potentially be adding more and more and more THC that in a couple hours it all hits you and you're like, now I'm high. But in terms of overdosing in a, in a way that one can overdose with like alcohol and things like that, you can have an uncomfortable experience, but you don't overdose in that way. But This again goes back to working with a trusted source, having someone who can be a guide, understanding education, because that's exactly what we don't want. We don't want, this feels good. Let me eat all the rest of these delicious chocolate covered blueberries because that first one made me feel good. You know, it's more is not necessarily better. 
I think that's really important. You know, it's, and I think that that can be really hard also if someone's like really in pain is like, you just want the pain to stop Mm -hmm. and it can be a learning curve with cannabis. Everyone's body is different. You know, this is not Mm -hmm. just like taking aspirin you need to, or Advil or something. You're going to have to, you might need to do a little bit of research. And the first thing you try may not be like the silver bullet that you want it to be. Again, goes back to like, are you purchasing from a company that can make like quality suggestions or provide consultations? What's the whole universe that you need help with? So yes, you can have a very uncomfortable situation if you were to just like down a bottle of tincture. I would never recommend that to anybody. And that includes myself. Um, I, I still have a limit. You know, if I have over 15 milligrams of THC, which to some people, especially other people in the industry, that's quite low. I will be very unhappy, very uncomfortable, you know, not wanting to be there. So that is why... All retailers, all people in the industry should be advocating to just like start really slow. And, you know, we advocate like people using journals and like document your journey. And like, I love doing that type of education. I'm saying a lot of different things, but you I know, know but, but that, that's good because I think you give a good education. I, I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one that's thinking about this. So that's why I'm like, I, I need to know this. <laughs> I'm curious. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Now going back a little bit to your business, this is what I want to know. What do you consider as your business model? Because you said that at the beginning, you're focused on health and then you focus on uh, wellness. And then now you're going into a different route. Like, so that's one, you know, your kind of business model. And then also you talk about educating people that comes in, right? How do you control that? Because anybody can come into you. How... Are you working with some kind of like practitioner, naturopath? Like how does it work? So well, one, I would say, you know, the wellness component, that, that really is what our company is about. And I, I think it's kind of like what defines wellness. Like wellness is not just medical. And that's where I feel like pleasure is a part of wellness. Okay, got you it. Know, if we just work all day, every day, and you're not enjoying your life, like is that wellness? If I'm able mm. to... Like, let's say I just work and I get my exercises done. So like my body's still okay. But like, is that, is that wellness? Like life enjoyment is wellness, like quality of life, which means finding times to have those pleasure moments is critical. So to me, it's also like incorporating that in wellness. And I, that's where I feel like I'm becoming more and more of a pleasure advocate. Mm -hmm. As I said also, this world to me feels more and more chaotic. And I feel like take your pleasure when you can get it and take your enjoyment when you can get it because it might be fleeting. Yep. As for the second part of your question. The business model. Yep. Yep. Like, and then also, are you working with a practitioner? Like, are you working oh. with a naturopath? Like, how does yeah. it work? It's been very important for me to be a retailer that sets a high standard. Mm -hmm. So one, there's an amazing organization called the American Cannabis Nurses Association. And the president of that organization is a nurse, Eloise Thiessen. She is an oncology nurse. She has a similar background to me where a life event led her to cannabis. She now has a medical cannabis practice Mm. um, and she also does So we work with her in that we have her come in and train our staff so that our staff that's interacting with patients has a very secure, solid knowledge from someone who is a licensed medical healthcare professional. It is very important. Like 
this is actually a nurse training our folks. Mm. So then we have like our customer support team, you know, staff that really, that does understand cannabis. And also we have a nutritionist that does our consultation. So you can like times with them. So we do section things out, you know, it is important to know when it's time to someone has a serious problem that we will refer out to a nurse like Eloise um, or, you know, another, you know, medical cannabis doctor or nurse. So we also, you know, if someone's calling with like something very serious, we will strongly urge them to get that type of consultation. And I, you know, I hope all retailers do that because unless someone has that level of knowledge, you know, they should not be giving that type of advice. I feel very strongly about that. But in terms of like lighter consultations and guidance towards products, our team does training with all the companies whose products we sell, as well as getting trained by that nurse company. Her company is called Radical Health. And so they come in and did that training. Setting the standard, you know, what what do I want of a cannabis company? What would make me trust someone? I want to know that they have a certain level of education. And so that trust is, I think, a really critical part of the brand of Sava. And I kind of banked on that, the authenticity of everything and my drive and the amazing team would outweigh the fact that I'm new to doing an e-commerce business. You know, like I think authenticity and passion, I think those things are really critical. And that's what you, you know, the the dark days where... We all have them. We all have imposter syndrome, no matter how successful someone is, where you wake up and you're like, who am I? Why am I doing this? Why are people listening to me? And reconnecting to why we're really here is the motivating factor. So I want to know, what would you consider your biggest struggles when you started? Some struggles I felt personally was being taken seriously, quite frankly. You know, I was kind of one of those people that then had an idea we all know these people and started, you know, I had an idea and no money. Someone give me money to do this amazing idea. And I did make some great connections. I was able to get in front of people that were valuable contacts and start doing some pitches just based on the idea. And I could tell, you know, and I'm not surprised that I wasn't able to get funding at that time. So my challenge is, you know, people questioning my background and if it can translate into a for-profit and profitable company because I didn't have things. And that's where kind of also my personality is like, as I was realizing, like, you know, those no's can be very discouraging, but I also had a fire of like, I'm going to do this. Like people don't think I can do this. I'm going to do this again, having a great team around you and partners I realized is critical, but that was a challenge. You know, I wanted, I wanted funding. I, I often wondered if I, had the same confidence and I was a man if I would have been able to, you know, it's hard, it's hard to say. Eventually I, w- I just realized I'm going to have to do this on my own and mm. found a way to bootstrap it and move forward. But that was an initial challenge was people questioning whether I could pull it off. And then also questioning, you know, is this the right timing for this? I mean, there's, there's the whole thing of just building an e-commerce, like running an e-commerce company is challenging yep. in and of itself building any other business. And then I was doing it against the background of this industry that is not easy to say mm-hmm. the least. And that has been having a lot of changes. And I, you know, we are a legacy business in that we were around before legalization 
And then we, you know, were able to weather all of those changes and still be here. And last year was a very, very hard year for folks in the industry. You saw a lot of businesses closing down just because it's so hard to get a license and jump through all the hoops and it's expensive. But we were able to ride all that change and be here today. And, you know, so learning how to really be nimble and agile and, and move with the tide has been critical. It is challenging. It's e-commerce. That's first, right? And then after that, it's cannabis. And then after that, it's the regulation, right? Yeah. So it's all mixed up together. And I feel less concerned about like the e Like it's all hard, but the fact of just being in the industry, I mean, I felt when I, we had our light bulb moment and when I had my like initial like co-founders on board with me, it just really felt like I just felt it like this is going to click. It's going to work. It's going to not be easy. But I felt we had came out of the gate with a really strong brand and a really strong mission. And I, I was banking a lot on that translating. And, you know, so I, I think that more of the challenges for me were about the regulations and navigating that and legal concerns that everyone in the industry has. You know, I, people in the industry, especially at that time, either need to, you know, be independently wealthy or a little crazy or really passionate about the plant because it's a lot of hard work. Now, you know, a secondary passion of mine is making sure that the people that you know, paved the way for everyone to be making money are still at the table and still get to participate in this industry. So we, when we onboard companies that we sell their products, you know, we are looking again at the background and who's been involved, um, who are the owners, and we want to make sure that we are segmenting out a specific percentage of the platform to support, you know, legacy businesses and women-owned businesses. Now, you talk a lot about, you know, you said like this people that come in into this the industry, cannabis industry, either they're wealthy or they're crazy. <laughs> I, <laughs> so I can use the C word, but you know. Well, <laughs> but they have the passion as well. You talk, you know, you said that it is expensive to enter this, especially with product and then, you know, e-commerce. How did you get the funding? At the beginning of your journey? I bootstrapped it. I took a huge risk and emptied savings that I had. So I did it. Wow. So my own money. So I also will say I was lucky in a position. I mean, it was terrifying. It still is. My savings are still in the business. Mm -hmm. But I was lucky to have savings that I could make a choice with. You know, not everyone has that. And then I did pull in at the beginning, some initial friends and family investors, you know, these were small increments, you know, like 5,000, 10,000. So that really the first thing we did was, you know, build the MVP of the website. That was like the first, you know, we came up with like the name of the company, the brand, but then it was like, let's get it designed and move it forward. And that's what I bootstrapped on my own and then pulled in a little bit of money. I then took in, you know, a very small angel investor in 2016, a little bit more in 2017. And then last year in the fall of 18, we did an official seed round. And that was the first time that we did like actual formal raise. And now we're back in another raise right now. So you're saying in fall 2018, you raised externally. You raised money it's not a public offering because you are a private company still. Correct. So yeah. 
Now, what was your initial investment? I put in chunks of money over time. So it was kind of like taking out 5,000, taking out 10,000, you know, it was like a lot of it was step-by-step in terms of because it was my first time. It wasn't like I was really forecasting and I had a really solid pro forma that I was like, this is the steps. I mean, I was kind of flying by the seat of my pants. I was driven by the idea and my excitement and my passion. And then it was just kind of tackling things step-by-step. It was very basic early stage startup. You know, it was me and my kitchen figuring out like, oh, we need to buy this. I guess I'm going to, yikes, put more money in this business. Like I am just going for it. It was incremental. It wasn't like I took 50K out and was like, this runs the business for six months. I was that organized at the time. Okay. (laughs) How is that financial journey developed though? Because you know, you started on your own, you bootstrap it, and then you got money from friends and family, right? And then you started going outside. You know, when you start going outside with outside investor, they want to see something. They want to see a, a plan, right? How did you navigate that? What are you looking for in terms of funding? Like 2018, 2019, like how did you know? So some of this was also, you know, the way we had to operate the business before legalization, moving to after. And like I said, like, you know, then there's like licenses. There's all these hoops that companies need to to jump through in 2018. The business was going well up until then. I saw what was required to really make this a fully compliant legal business. Other people in the industry may not have decided to operate legally right at the get-go. I made that decision. With that decision came costs, like you know, purchasing a license and getting all these insurance that wasn't even available for us to get, like moving all of our drivers from independent contractors to employees. These things can like double your costs. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was like, you know, having a solid understanding of the business evaluating all the other costs that coming in. And it was, to me, it was a no brainer. It was like, if you're going to be in this industry, you need to be raising money. It's great that I bootstrapped. It's great that I've proven myself, but it is also time to scale and push the gas pedal. And to do that, we have to be doing the traditional startup thing and raising money. It's great that we kept ourselves afloat on our own. Also, I'm very proud of that, but this is, we're not building a small local business. We're building something bigger. And so It was once I saw all the costs with legalization, having a solid sense with our finance and controller of like what the business is doing and where I want to get to. That was how I started evaluating like, okay, it's time. It's time to raise now. It's time to raise yesterday. And then luckily with those angel investors, those investors ended up becoming our leads. So I did take in, you know, 100K in 2017 and then through those connections, we got our lead investors that helped with that seed round and that are also leading our Series A. Wow. Okay. So do you have a good understanding about finance when you started this business or did you hire a finance person right away? Because when you start funding like that, it's... I, hired, I will say um, I've always loved numbers. I've mm-hmm. always loved spreadsheets. Mm-hmm. I've always loved math. And that was not my career path at all. I mean, I had experience with it in that when I was doing consulting for nonprofits and like doing needs assessments, what I really tried to do with agencies is help build new revenue sources for them and new ways that they could bring in money. So I wasn't a stranger to evaluating cash flow and like finances. So 
while it wasn't my forte, like this is something I'd had experience doing. And I definitely needed to learn a lot more. So there's parts of me that were like self-taught, but I was looking for the right advisors, the right mentors, and then the right consultants to get me up to speed where I needed to be. So I do think having a solid sense of understanding like how to evaluate a spreadsheet and doing formulas and all those things is really important. You can learn it though. You can have someone teach you and walk you through it. You know, I am still learning, you know, there's still skill sets I'm layering on top of it. The type of projection models that I'm building now, I couldn't have done them a year ago. I didn't know how to do them a year ago. And I do have someone that works with me. He's kind of like a CEO coach slash consultant. And I started working with him in the fall because I felt like I was hitting a wall in terms of like my level of experience and I really needed help with the raise. And then I started doubting myself of like, why do I need a coach? You know, and then I realized, you know, like so many, this is why these people exist. They're here to help you. There is nothing wrong with getting help. I wanted to shut out that judgmental voice. Um, I try to monitor that a lot now. So, so yes, you know, there are, there are people whose businesses is to, help get, you know, especially earlier stage CEOs, but also all levels of CEOs to the next level. And we should absolutely take advantage of that help. So having someone that I could hire to help me with the finances was critical. You can't do it all. And I think a lot of us that are entrepreneurs and CEOs or, you know, executives, we all are personality types where we want to do it all. And it is not possible and it is not efficient and it is not sustainable. And bringing some, yeah, bringing someone on with like a much deeper, complex understanding of finance and being able to, you know, model things out in a new way, game changer for me, absolute game changer, because it helped me understand my company in a new way that I couldn't do on my own. Huge, huge. <laughs> I'm glad you say that because I think you know when you first starting, you probably did, you you know you have a vision, you have the passion, right? You kind of know where you want to go because you already said to me, I'm not playing small. That's what I'm hearing, right? I want this to be big. I have my vision, how I want to grow this company. But at the end of the day, you also need to make a decision how well you're going to grow. And then to get a funding, if you don't put everything into your numbers, your vision and your strategy into numbers, I don't think you can go out there and say, hey, I need some money. (laughs) They want metrics. They want numbers. You have to know your company. You have to know all those specific things. I know my company in a completely different way than I did even a year ago. Uh, Well, maybe a little, you know, definitely a year and a half. But yeah, it's a critical game changer. You have to know in and out all of these things. If you don't know how to quickly get to your CAC, like that's not going to be a good customer acquisition cost. Like where is all of this coming from? And so it's very important for me especially as women-led company to be very, very data-driven, to know my metrics like back and forth, to know where everything is happening and to show transparently how I'm coming up with all the formulas of like why I believe my average lifetime value, you know, customer value is this, you know, like how did I get to that and being able to be... So not just hiring someone that can like do this for me and be like, that's your thing. It's like you do need someone to show you that way so you can, you know, get to the next level of being exactly. a CEO. Because and as a CEO, you have to make sure honestly. that you're not running out of money, right? You have to. You have employees. Terrifying. Right? 
Yes. <laughs> yeah. This is what keeps CEOs up at night, right? It's like you're helming the ship. You're keeping everyone going. You're, you know, making sure things are moving along, but also you're looking at that bank account and thinking about the next goals you want to hit. How many employees do you have right now? All in our team is 34 folks right now. So some of those are, there's a couple contractors in that mix, but the majority of those are employees. Not all of our drivers are full-time, but in another couple months, that number is going to go up to probably 37 by you know the end of June. You're still so, focusing on San Francisco area right now, right? Focusing on the Bay Area, we deliver you know, an hour north, east, and south. With the raise that we're doing right now, we are focusing on our expansion to SoCal and other areas of California. So the goal is that we launch in some of these areas in Q3 and Q4. So Zava's reach in terms of the state, you know, I'm trying to at least triple it by the end of the year. Wow. One thing that I'm really, you know, admire, you said that from the very beginning, you were able to keep the company afloat, right? So when you say afloat, does that mean that the company was profitable by year two, year one? Like, what is that? We were profitable by year two. And with the regulatory changes, that changed things because... I mean, that's a whole episode in and of itself. You know, there's just, so, like, like I said, there's so many then different things that a business needed to do. One of which, for example, is that you can't, for drivers, they all need to be your employees. They can't even be your independent contractors. There's all sorts of things people were doing in the industry. I'm not going to like comment on the legality of it, where people were using third parties and, you know, people would make, like, you form a relationship. They found a way to, like, cobble things through and get it going. And the laws said, like, now there was very clear, like, yes, you can, no, you can't, rather than like, that's frowned upon, we'll shut you down, but you can probably, you know, you'll figure out another pathway. So again, for me, this is very serious for me. I still believe, you know, we have a lot of work to do in terms of, you know, being able to help a lot of people and grow this business. So I made all of these changes. So what you know, the business model changed, like our costs drastically increased. It's not unlike though other startups, but it was, it was also very unique things to cannabis and that like, you just can't have an independent contractor. Some people may not have made that transition at the time we did. I felt it was important to do it. So again, that's a big thing. Like when you think of the driver gig economy, those are independent contractors. Ours are employees. So you just think of why, you know, like these big companies like Uber, Lyft, you know, DoorDash, you know, they're all able to burn a lot of money and they have independent contractors. Imagine if their driver costs doubled, that's what we deal with. And those are big challenges require, you know, thoughtful solutions. But again, you know, I wanted to do things right. So I pushed it to make sure that we were doing things right from the get-go. Were you able to pay yourself from the beginning? Not a real salary, no. I okay. didn't pay myself the first two years. But you're, you're settled now. Like every, you, you are able to basically manage to pay others and then yourself as well. Yes. Yes. Now people have real salaries, which is perfect. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. That's what I want to hear. Because a lot of yeah. female CEO, they care about other people's and then they forget about themselves. 
Yeah, you know, and I did a little bit of that too. I mean, for me, it was all part of the investment, right? And there's tons of startups where people and founders don't pay themselves right away. And also, I'm not looking to be a martyr and to suffer unnecessarily. And this needs to like, you know, if I'm going to my investors, if they're looking whether this is a sustainable business, they need to see real salaries in there. If I'm having the executive team, and I'm not saying this is what people were making, but let's say the executive team's making like 60K a year, like, but we're cash flow positive. Are you? Like, that's not a real business. If that team left and then the people came in at the salaries they needed, which is like at, let's say, at least 120, you know, like that then changes the whole company. So it's kind of critical for the raise to like put those real salaries in there because this is a real company. And yes, those are some of the things where I question if I was a woman, our male CEOs being like, I should really just make 80K because, you know, this and that, or, you know, or is that something that's, you know. What would be your advice to female entrepreneurs that wants to start a business? Find an amazing advisor and mentor to help support you. It is so hard and it's also doable. And you need that person that you can call that can lift you up and help keep you going. And that person might change over time. You might need a certain type of advisor and mentor in the first six months, then the next six months or year one versus year two. But having someone I could call when I was at my lowest that could just, you know, that has been through it and can just help me refocus my brain to what I actually need to do. You know, one of my favorite sayings that someone said to me, it's not the first time I heard it, but it's become ingrained is, you know, if it was easy, everyone would be doing it, you know, and I really absorbing that like this is hard work. It's not going to be easy. And having someone who can support you along the way that you can let it all go with, but that can let someone that you feel that can center you and get you focused when you're off the phone with them. That's critical. Andrea Brooks. Thank you so much. It has, has been enlightening and thank you for sharing your journey. Thank you. I had such a good time. This episode is brought to you by my own CFO program, where I help CEOs and entrepreneurs how to grow their business through the power of finance and positive cash flow. This program is created for CEOs and entrepreneurs who have six figures or seven figures business. But either you struggle to pay yourself like a true CEO, or you treat your business like a credit card for your clients, or you simply do not know where all your money go. I want to help you. I want to make sure that you have a business, not only a hobby. Thank you so much for listening to another powerful episode of Her CEO Journey podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and SoundCloud so you will not miss another episode. My hope this podcast resonates and inspires you to continue your own CEO journey. If you are inspired, please leave a nice review on iTunes so more female entrepreneurs will listen to this podcast. And when you are ready to pay yourself like a true CEO, take control over your finances and want to know how to grow your business through the power of finance and positive cash flow, visit my website, kristinashahli.com and download my free video training series. Now, 
Let's continue your CEO journey in confidence and make sure you inspire other female entrepreneurs.